Since the day she gave me that coveted final rose, my wife, Trista Sutter, has made me a better person. If she can get me to know better, to do better, and to just all around be better, then I'm sure she can do it for you too. You're listening to Better Etc. with my wife and your host, Trista Sutter. everybody, Trista here, and this is the seventh episode of the Better Etc. podcast. I don't know if you all have heard of a term called adventure therapy or adventure-based healing, but my next guest, Brad Ludden, is an old friend of mine and Ryan's, and he started an organization called First Ascents 20 years ago. The charity works to provide free adventure therapy for young adults with cancer, multiple sclerosis, their caregivers, or for frontline workers called the Hero Recharge Program. And I talked to him today about the benefits of adventure therapy and how all of us, regardless of diagnosis, can benefit from being out in nature and experiencing something that takes you out of your comfort zone and allows you to be present in every single moment. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope that you'll go and give us a five-star rating so that we can reach lots more people out there and help make lots more lives that much better. Here we go. Everyone, hello. It's another episode of Better Etc., and my next guest is an old friend. I actually want to ask him how we first met because I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) But he truly embraces the outliving it lifestyle. He has been a pro kayaker since the age of 13 freaking years old. Uh, He was Nike's first ever signed pro kayaker. He has been on the cover of Outside Magazine. You're going to be mad at me, but I know, (laughs) I know, you know, this comes up in every conversation Uh, that you, every introduction that has ever been done for Brad Ludden. He was Cosmopolitan Magazine's hottest bachelor in America in 2008. (laughs) Anyway, I love embarrassing my friends. And then, of course, he founded an organization called First Ascents that Ryan and I have been ambassadors for for a while and and involved with um, pretty significantly for years. And it has uh, just celebrated its 20th anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you. He's also one of the most humble and caring people you'll ever meet next to, of course, my husband. True. Well, your husband, for sure. Yes. But anyway, welcome, Brad Ludden. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on here. I'm truly honored. Thank you. I'm I'm honored to have you. It's so good to see you. I know people listening can't see you, but it's so good to see you in person. You That's too. why I like to do these Skypes so I can actually see people face to face. It's been way too long. It's been way too no, long. It's just been too long. Seriously, I don't I think the last time I saw you was at the FD Ball. Obviously, this past year got canceled. I think the year before. Correct? Yeah, I Maybe. Think so. Yeah. So how is life? What what have you been doing? Are you just holed up in Montana and that's where you're calling home these days? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to hide uh, from my from my past, really, uh, <laughs> since the whole Cosmo thing. It's just, this has been an opportunity to run and disappear. And Montana is a great place to do it. Um, True story. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's sure. I, I think we're all looking for silver linings. And one for me has just been an opportunity to spend time in this place. I, I love it here. I grew up here. I have a lot of history here and memories here. And um, and by way of my work, I just travel a lot, which I love too. But this has just afforded me an opportunity to really dig into this place and uh, explore it more. And and so, yeah, I've just been kind of living in Montana, which is uh, as, as normal as that sounds, is really different for me. But it's so amazing. 
backing up uh, to your intro, of course, the Cosmo magazine thing, didn't it lead to you being asked to be The Bachelor? It did. And I was fortunate to have some really good counsel and some of my best friends, Ryan and Trista, who had some experience for that show. <laughs> and uh, yeah, oh, I, 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 they did contact me, and uh, which, was, which was an honor. And of course, I hold you two in such high regards and, and consider you such close friends. So I immediately called on you. And yeah. I had a lot of interesting advice from you as my friends, all yeah. positive. Yes, uh, of I, course ultimately thought that after the Cosmo thing, maybe I should just take a break from it for a minute. So that's, for a minute or 20 years or yeah, or just forever, maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah. never go back to the bachelor. Okay. And how, how did we meet? Because I remember you gave us a gift after our wedding from Africa. I, I, we still have it in oh, our right. office. Yeah, of course. It's like a little sculpture of two people kind of intertwined remember from that. Africa. And I, I remember it, but I, how did we meet? Do you know? Oh, I remember it vividly. You guys were like some of my first, I had just moved to Dale and I didn't really know anyone. And uh, it just so happened that I was, I was filming a segment with Warren Miller, which made ski films uh, and Nike had sort of sponsored a segment that was a multi-sport film and Tim Willison. Yeah. Uh-huh. And one of Ryan's good friends had, he was, we were all in Morocco filming this segment and he kept like getting online. This was in the days of like internet cafes. And we would all like get online for just a few minutes and like send an email like, hey, mom and dad, we're still alive type of yeah. thing. And he would get on and go to this website for the for the show. And so we would like glance over at the screen and we're like, what are you, what are you doing, bro? Like, what? And he's right. like, oh, he's like, I know this looks a little weird. But and at that time, you know, I think what you guys were the second season. So it was all very new. And he was like, my friends are on this show. And. Anyways, like Brad, you know, they, Ryan lives in Vail. So you got to connect with this guy. He's awesome. He'll be fast friends. And, and so he kind of put us, I remember I was kayaking in downtown Vail. And I saw you guys walk by right after it had been announced. I think that you were, that you chose one another. And, um, and I was like, Ryan. And I think he was just like, whoa. Who, who are you? And I was like, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not a super fan. I, like, we have a mutual friend. And so anyway, became friends from that. Oh, I love it. I, you know, I have the worst memory ever. So I love to go back to how I met people because I often forget just because my brain doesn't have the capacity to hold all those memories. <laughs> I love the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys, I, and as you mentioned in the intro, that it was, uh, I, I was just so grateful for the friendship, A, to have friends in Vail because I didn't yeah. have any time. And B, you guys, I have just been so generous with your time and, and supporting uh, a cause at, the, at at that time, which was brand new, you know, we were just in our infancy and uh, you guys stepped up in a huge way and sort of stayed involved and dedicated throughout the years, which is uh, not a lot of people can say that. So I was always very grateful for that. Oh, well, it's it's because of the work you've done. I mean, it's a no brainer to be involved when it's so meaningful. I, I saw on the website that we are still listed as FD ambassadors. Do you still do anything with the ambassadors? Well, right now we don't do a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right now, right now, no one I, does a lot. Let's yeah, be well, honest. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad <laughs> yeah. we're not alone in that, I suppose. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, we, we do. I think it's something we just need to revisit. We've been talking, uh, actually going into this 20th anniversary this year, uh, it was something that we were really focused on strategically, it, you know, engaging all of our longtime supporters and ambassadors and, and really spreading the word about two decades of, of adventure healing. And then, of course, for the whole world, things changed. And so uh, we were just scrambling to find a way to make sure our community was supported, even though we couldn't reach them in person and then pivoted in a few ways to offer some new programs. And yeah, so it's 
been a scramble. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, for everybody, it's been a hard year. So I would love to get into kind of the background of not only First Ascents, but of you, kind of your upbringing and how that led you to starting First Ascents, how it started and where the name came from. So, so as mentioned, I was kind of raised here in Northwest Montana. And uh, when you guys come to visit, you'll see there's not a lot to do here unless you go outside. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> we just, I mean, you know, there are plenty of things to do outside, but that's about it. And so my parents really uh, believed in, in sort of the power of getting outside and recreating outside as a family and, and connecting with one another. And so it's sort of just all I knew. And then when I was six, my mom decided to pick up whitewater kayaking which is an obscure sport on a good day. But back then, like nobody did it. You know, I mean, in hindsight, it was such a courageous move on her part to, to be a woman, you know, taking on this new, somewhat intimidating sport that was really male dominated at the time. And unfortunately, in some ways still is not nearly as bad. And so she just kind of like, that was a tremendous leap of faith on her part. And certainly one of the most profound uh, life-changing decisions she or or either of my parents have ever made without knowing it. And so we watched from my dad, of course, like probably felt emasculated or something. It was like, oh, I, I need to get out there with her, you know? And so he jumped in, kind of got involved shortly after she did. And so for the first few years of that, my sister and I watched from the shores um, and I just really wanted to learn how to do it. And so when I was nine, my sister was 11, they purchased kind of kids kayaks for us. And we got into it. And it was a love-hate relationship for me for a long time. Um, it was really scary. I did a lot of what we call cryacking, and I would <laughs> spend, I'd get into my kayak and just cry and I'd get out of my kayak. And so it was kind of an on-again, off-again relationship between myself and the, and the sport. And, um, and then one day it just clicked and I fell in love with it and the fear faded and it was replaced with sheer joy and passion. And it was all I wanted to do every minute of every day. I've never actually known a sense of passion quite like that. It was really, it was beautiful. It's just simple. You know, there was, I wasn't trying to make a career of it. I wasn't trying to, to, to use it to get anywhere. I just wanted to be on the rivers in my kayak. And so almost to a fault, I was like skipping school and, yeah. you know, like that type of stuff. And my parents became a little worried. I was like sneaking into Canada with my buddies who were much older than me because I couldn't drive. And um, kayaking rivers up there and then getting detained at the border. And my mom oh, no. had like, oh yeah, it was a mess. I got in so much trouble, but I, it was really well-intentioned. Yeah. My parents kind of finally realized, I think that like, Hey, we have to like allow him to, to do this. Like we're, we can't prevent this. And so they found a, a kayak Academy, uh, which is so interesting that that existed, but thank goodness yeah. it did. Does um, it still exist? Uh, not that particular one, but there is one. Um, there's still, there's still an opportunity for teenagers to get to the, you know, like they have ski academies and things. Yeah. And there is still a kayak academy. It's actually based in the North Pacific Northwest and it's called the world class Academy. Hmm. Uh, it's a great program. And so we would just travel around the world for a semester at a time. And we had our coaches were our teachers. And so we'd paddle twice a day and, you know, spent time in Ecuador and New Zealand and just all over the place. And it was, it was so much fun. That kind of to get to the next part of your question, I came to a crossroads where uh, I was I sort of finished finished the, the school, the academy, and in essence finished high school. I got my diploma, and I thought that would satisfy my my parents. It didn't satisfy my dad. My mom was fine, with it. Um, and I'd applied to and been accepted to college, but I just wasn't ready to go. I was I was like, man, I'm just all I want to do is keep kayaking. And so I told my dad I was I thought long and hard about this. I wanted to take 
a year off before I went to college and just go around the world and kayak. And he was super disappointed. Um, my mom was, I think, pretty excited. And and your dad, uh, your dad was a doctor, right? Yeah, he was a doctor, and and he, you know, he came from nothing and worked really hard and uh, overcame learning disabilities, and you know, and so he like he was like, you have to work hard and go the academic route, and that works for some people, but it wasn't going to work for me. And so uh, I told him I, I wanted to pursue a career as a professional kayak athlete, which <laughs> I, I didn't even know if that was a thing. <laughs> get paid to kayak. Amazing. Exactly. Right. And simultaneously, I wanted to start this nonprofit organization to help other people experience kayaking the way I had, because I thought it could be profoundly healing. And I was in a position to provide that experience for them. And so (laughs) to tell your father that you're not going to go to college and you're going to start a nonprofit is like, like the two worst things I could have told my dad. So he basically was like, good luck. You're on your own. And yeah. And I, it all worked out. I was able, as you mentioned, Nike generously sponsored me uh, for a long time. We had a great run as an athlete with that company, and they treat their athletes so well. Um, and they kind of got behind the idea of First Descents early on, and 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 the name First Descents, you asked. Uh, so what I was doing was expedition kayaking. So I was traveling around the world trying to find these places and rivers that had never been kayaked and, and sort of tell their story, like experience them. And it, for me, it was like the ultimate exploration. Uh, it was like going to the moon almost, you know, it's just this like true adventure exploration. And mm-hmm. so it was such an opportunity to, to, to witness other cultures and meet other people and, and grow as an individual. And that's called the first descent. You know, the first time you kayak down rivers, first descent. And in my line of work, it's sort of the uh, greatest achievement we could have uh, could have experienced. Um, and what I found is that every time I would do one of these first descents, uh, it was life-changing. You know, you, you would put on the river and take off a river and everything in between those two points was unknown. Uh, and the only certainty seemed to be that at the takeout, I would be a, a different sort of more full whole person version of myself. And I, I just really fell in love with that growth. And so when I decided to start this nonprofit, I, I, I thought it would be an appropriate name for it because while many people may have kayaked the rivers before the participants that we took down them, uh, it was their first time down it. And that same metaphorical transformation was occurring for them, that same growth uh, and challenge and, and I think healing perhaps that was taking place that I didn't even realize, but that they've now come to see. And so we named it First Descents and it worked really well until we started introducing climbing programs and we have this whole identity crisis. And I, <laughs> I, was, I was like, well, you still have to come down from the top, right? So there is a descending component anyway. So I think we've, we've uh, transformed enough and, and overcome that, but it was a pretty funny hiccup in yeah. our history. I love all that history. I love all that background. I would love to go deeper into how First Ascent started. So your aunt had cancer, correct? Yeah. And I believe the story goes that you took her out kayaking and and the changes that you saw within her were kind of the impetus to the inspiration to starting First Ascents, thinking that the things that you loved about kayaking and and actually on the website, you you said uh, you talked about First Ascents uh, or a, a First Ascent and how it is the uncertainty that drew you in because you knew there was a potential for discovery, which I loved. And you saw that, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can tell the story of, of how you saw that in your aunt, that she was able to 
leave her diagnosis and her treatment and whatever suffering she was experiencing at home. And when you took her out on the river or the water, she was able to just leave that behind and be in the present and be thankful to be alive. Does that kind of Mm -hmm. sum it up a little bit? Very much so. Yeah. My, my aunt was diagnosed, uh, which is all too common, but diagnosed with breast cancer as a young adult woman uh, and facing kind of all the challenges at that age of a a new marriage and a career and fertility, trying Mm -hmm. to start a family and, and a lot that all just got kind of like derailed by her diagnosis and left her feeling really lost and scared and um, and left me and I think our family feeling really helpless. And that feeling of helplessness was like what I think drove the action of trying to find a way to help her and without knowing what else to give. It was that sense of adventure, right? Like it was that kayaking, uh, again, was sort of the only thing I thought to offer that I could offer. Uh, and to see transformation occur when offering it was sort of when the light bulb went off. Um, and I think you touched on a lot of it, just giving her that escape, that sense of control, even though it, it you know, in a kayaks can be a lot of control, but like, it's something you, you're able to put your hands on and deal with and figure out yourself. Whereas cancer, you're kind of along for the ride so often. Um, and it gave her, it gave her a chance just to forget about it. You know, when you're in the middle of a rapid, you're, you're pretty present. Um, you have you to have be, a choice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you have to be, uh, and your, your mind isn't thinking about all the other challenges that await you you know it's just thinking about that one right in front of you I think there's a lot of uh, liberation in that and so yeah yeah, it was like I said that's when the light bulb went off and then in doing all the research I just realized there was nothing like it there was nothing out there like this for for that population and furthermore that population was a massive population of of people 70 over 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each year in the U.S. And what we find is that most of them arrive at one of our programs, never having met someone else their age with cancer. That's crazy. It's yeah, it's just shocking. And so just uh, overcoming those feelings of isolation and alienation, connecting them to a peer group with similar challenges and experiences and putting them on that sort of equal footing of kayaking, you know, it just, it seems to catalyze something tremendously healing and, and uh, helpful for them. Yeah. 100%. I I mean, and I say that because even though neither Ryan nor myself have been diagnosed with cancer or, or I believe that you guys now do multiple sclerosis camps, correct? Um, So we haven't experienced that, but we've been able, we went to a donor camp here locally in Colorado, which was, I believe we did for three days. And then we did a rock climbing camp, which was so amazing. It was in Moab and oh my gosh, completely life-changing. And we were just, you know, Ryan was the the medic essentially, because he is an EMT and I was the, the camp mom, if you will, and just kind of helped out where I was needed and was there for everybody. And it was life-changing. I mean, I will never forget. And I don't know if I mentioned it, but our camp name was camp amazing love balls. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. (laughs) It was so awesome, but I will never forget one camper who has since passed, unfortunately, very sadly, she was going through chemo at the time and literally losing hair while we were at camp, like pulling out chunks of her hair, which just, oh, I, I mean, even going back to those moments just breaks my heart. But in the same breath, I can say that 
the fact that she was able to connect with these people who were experiencing the exact same things, well, maybe not the exact same things, but going through a very similar journey and in, in those feelings of isolation and those feelings of depression and those feelings of fear and worry for their futures and for their families and, and all of it, it was just so incredibly life-changing, which is why we continue to be involved. You know, I am so thankful to you and to everyone who works behind the scenes on First Ascents to be able to allow this kind of outlet for those people and also for people that don't have a diagnosis who are able to volunteer and who are able to get on those camps and be part of the process and be part of the growth and be part of the discovery and the healing. So thank you. Thank you. We couldn't do it without people like you guys. So it takes it. It's a community for sure. It is. You have created this incredible community. Um, so amazing. I do want to touch on what First Ascents is exactly. So we've kind of touched on it, but I'd love for you to give us all the spiel on what First Ascents is and what it provides. Okay. Yeah. So it's, I guess like with at the highest level, we provide these what we consider life-changing outdoor adventure experiences to young adults. And when we say young adults, it's like 18 to 39-year-olds uh, whose life ha- lives have been impacted by cancer. And as you mentioned, we uh, a few years ago started working with young adults who have MS as well. This year, we actually pivoted and offered uh, healthcare worker programming as well. And so it's really trying to create generally multi-day destination experiences uh, that focus on uh, one outdoor adventure, such as whitewater kayaking. Um, but as noted, we added rock climbing, which is a program you guys attended. Um, we've done surfing programs, multi-day rafting programs, trekking programs, like winter camping programs. You know, it's really expanded to anything that is is an authentic and legitimate outdoor adventure. Um, and we take participants uh, free of charge from around the country and free of uh, charge people they do it free of free charge. charge yeah <laughs> this is a free program uh, i think it needs to be initially it needs to to you know we need to be sure that we're inclusive in this and so we're uh we, we cover the cost of the program and we bring them out and spend a few days uh, anywhere from you know three to seven days generally uh on site and working with professional guides uh, and and our counselors to lead an ex- a safe experience that, that also kind of meets the individual where they are and, and challenges them how they need to be challenged. And so it's important to stress that, um, as you noted, you know, you, you guys had one of your campers who uh, was in the in the throes of it, who still showed up and climbed. Uh, we we really, as long as it's deemed safe for them, uh, we will we keep it fairly small, up to fifteen participants at a program. Uh, and really try to cater it to the individual to make sure that they experience success. Uh, and so it doesn't require, you know, you don't have to be an outdoor adventure enthusiast or have ever climbed or kayaked before that. That's the whole point. That's what we offer. And so really encouraging young adults, if, if you know, you hear this or you know of someone going through this, like have them check it out. And uh, there, there is no previous experience necessary. <laughs> no, definitely not. Everyone that went, uh, nobody had experience on our climbing trip. And I want to touch on the fact that you chose specifically young adults with cancer from 18 to 39 because you have you found that that age group was particularly isolating. Honestly, whenever you hear about cancer diagnosis, I feel like people usually hear about the kids with cancer and then the older individuals with cancer. And 
And so the 18 to 39-year-olds often get left out in the cold, if you will. The focus isn't on them necessarily. So that is why, as you mentioned, they don't have the opportunity to meet, at least until First Ascents happened, they hadn't had the opportunity to meet other people in their peer group who were experiencing the same things, correct? Absolutely correct. Yeah. Uh, when we started 20 years ago, I remember just kind of seeing what was out there. And as I, as I mentioned, there was nothing like this. But to put it in context or perspective, there were, I think, over 250 pediatric oncology camps or programs around the country. Uh, and I, I think, it, you know, I'll probably get this wrong, but I think it was like something like 10,000 kids diagnosed with cancer in, in the U.S. at the time each year. And there were there wasn't a single program, not one, for young adults. And seventy over seventy thousand were being diagnosed, and so that just was glaring to me. It, it was just this it had been sort of coined this forgotten demographic. You know, these guys are also going through extreme uh, sort of navigating complexities. You know, I think that we can all relate to whether it's dating or starting college or starting a new job, starting a new family. Um, moving out on your own, whatever it is, uh, you know, it's, it's a challenging time on the best of days. And then to add cancer into that just uh, makes it extremely complex. Um, so many of our participants are un or underinsured. Uh, they have to either leave or lose their jobs, move back in with their parents. Uh, a lot of times relationships break. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just not a good time. There's never a good time to get cancer, but it's an extremely challenging time. And so it just seemed the fact that all these odds were stacked against them and no one was trying to reach out and support them just didn't seem quite right to me. And, and after seeing my my aunt as a young adult experience cancer and seeing how she didn't have anyone to turn to except us and at knock on wood, you know, we hadn't had cancer. We we're just there. I just kind of like, I was like, where's your, where's your group? You know, where are yeah. your people? And so that, that sort of all those things kind of just said, well, like, of course this needs to happen. And it has, and you've done an incredible job. Okay, so when you get to a camp, the first thing that basically happens is everyone is given a nickname, correct? Yeah. <laughs> and and I love the the happy accident story that you shared about how the nicknames actually came about at the first camp. Can you share about that? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's like you said, happy accident. Uh, at the very first camp we ever did back in two thousand one, there just so happened to be three Brads there, uh, and everyone kept like saying Brad and all three of us would turn like, and we were like, Oh, we got to fix this man. So one of the guys, amazing young man had, had recently lost a leg to an amputation goes, well, I'll be Brad one because I have one leg. Oh. Like, all right, bro. That's, oh, no. that's bold, man. You know, and it, it, it's great. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was his reality, you know, and, and yeah. his choice. So, uh, and then it, from there, it sort of evolved. All the Brad's got nicknames and then everyone else needed nicknames. And we sort of thought, well, wait, this, this makes sense. Like, None of us knew each other coming into this, uh, and we're sort of, in essence, forming a new identity, a new beginning, you know, a new community, a new story of ourselves. Uh, and so we just found this to be an incredibly powerful, but yet seemingly sort of insignificant thing. And it's sort of the birth of your of your new self. And you see it, you know, a lot of times in the military or um, at various sort of really big defining chapters in life, people obtain these sort of new names or nicknames that come to define them. Uh, and so when you go to a first ascent event, as you've seen, you know, you show up at the, at the gala, like people want to know what your FD name is, not your real name. Like right. no one cares about your real name. 
Uh, and it, it's become a really powerful part of our culture, uh, surprisingly so. I, I, again, it was never by design. It was just by accident. But I think that's so great because you are so right. The second that you get to camp, you can drop all the heaviness, all the weight of the life that you are you, you are coming from and be able to attack this journey and be present in the moment and be this new person and take on this new persona and and connect with these other people who are sharing similar similar situations. So I think honestly, it could be used in and with anyone. It doesn't have to be just an FD camp, you know. Um it it can be for anyone out there who's experiencing difficulties. Just tell your friends to give you a nickname. Hey, yeah. call me so and so now. My my aunt actually changed her name um, midlife, uh, I think probably for the same reason, she just wanted to shed everything and just be born anew in a way. And, and I feel like there is something, something to be said for that. Now I will say that my name, so the, the culture of FD, do you, you know, my name, right? Um, <laughs> I do. I so do know the culture of FD is, is one of a lot of humor, which I love too. I think that that's another reason that Ryan and I have been drawn to it as well. It's just, you know, people are fun to be around. So I get to camp, we get to this donor camp and Woogie, who the, that's someone's nickname, who <laughs> helps run camps. Um, she came up to Ryan and I and she's like, OK, what's your nickname? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, well, what do you want your nickname to be? Everyone has a nickname. And I was like, OK, well, what do you call someone? Because at this point in time in my life, I was the cheerleader on the sidelines for Ryan. Like he was doing all these triathlons and I was always the cheerleader, like supporting him. And I, I believe we had kids at the time. And so I was the, you know, the the support system in our family. And so I said, well, what's the name for something that's a really big support, like a support person, support system? And and Woogie was like, jockstrap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Damn it. Why did I have to talk to you? <laughs> so from that day on, I was known as jockstrap. Amazing. Yeah. And I just I, I mean, I'm a big fan of humor, too. So I was like, whatever, I'm just going to keep it because it's funny. And of course, Ryan got drawn into it. And he at the time. So during that donor camp, he was named I think he was like G-string. G-string, that's it. He was yeah. G-string and I was jockstrap. I, I was like, oh, man, oh. yeah. <laughs> but you know Whoops. what? At Camp Amazing Love Balls, which is the rock climbing camp that we did, he decided. He was like, you know what? You can be jockstrap because that's funny and you are the support crew. But I'm going to change my name. So he became Compass. That, that's fair. That's probably suiting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> way better, <laughs> way better suited for him. So I was listening to some interviews that you had done, and I found it really interesting that in the beginning of FD, it was hard for you to find campers, which now it's, you know, it's evolved into this incredible organization where people are on, there's huge waiting lists, correct? Like people yeah. want to come to camp. And, yeah. and they just can't very often because there just isn't enough space and there aren't enough camps and there aren't enough, you know, abilities for them to, to join in on the fun. But looking back to the early days, I, I listened or I read that you like approached these doc, these oncologists and said, Hey, let me take, let me take your, uh, your 
oncology patient, your cancer patient out on a kayak. And they were like, yeah, right. No, I, I, it's amazing to me that you just kept going and you kept persisting and you, and you did what you had to do to get this, this organization started. But can you talk about the beginning stages of those difficulties and kind of how it's evolved today? It was, it was a real struggle. Like I mean, now in hindsight, we we know that this works. As you said, it's become this widely adopted, reputable organization and and resource and therapy. Like it's, well, now it all makes sense. But at the time, we didn't even know if it would work. You know, I just I just thought it should work. So it took about a year and a half between the the time that I actually had the idea for for First Descent to actually getting to the first program that we ran. And the first year and a half was a real struggle, just for a variety of reasons. And then all of a sudden we we're like, okay, we got the 501c3 in place. A bunch of my friends helped form the, the board of, you know, volunteer board of directors. We found this amazing man in the Vale Valley who was a, an, an oncologist and a kayaker and saw an article about us, you know, it was all coming together beautifully. And then I was like, wait, who, who's going to come to the camp? Like, like no one stopped to think like, oh, we actually, like, this isn't going to be much of a camp if there aren't campers here. So we kind of went on this mad dash that lasted years, frankly, of trying to recruit participants to come to our programs. Uh, and certainly when they would come, they had a, an amazing time. Um, but there was sort of this, this firewall between us and the participants, which was the medical community, the scientific community, who at the time, and listen, like, understandably, I get it. I was, you know, this 18 or 19-year-old, like, professional kayaker who, who had, like, spoken vocabulary, you know, like, I was not like I wouldn't send my patients to me either if I was there. Right. I, I totally respect their decision, but it was a real challenge. Uh, and so it turned into initially like me just really trying to get to know some of the the healthcare professionals, like the social workers, the oncologists, like getting to form a relationship and build one of trust with them. Uh, and and that took years. Uh, and then you know over the years we finally became a more reputable organization, formed those relationships with hundreds of. of medical professionals. Um, and the tides really turned whereby the, the word got out and it became a word of mouth thing. Um, healthcare professionals were really excited to have a resource like us. We'd had some, some really good, uh, proof of concept with the scientific community that was, I think, respected, uh, which helped them trust us more and believe more in, in the science of the programs. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then word of mouth, you know, young adults, when they would meet one another would be like, Oh, you've got to go to this thing. It was like transformational for me. And so it just took time, but it, it was, there were so many days that I just wanted to quit. You know, I just didn't, I, I just lost faith. I didn't know if it would happen, if it could happen, if it should happen. Unfortunately, whether it was my mom or, or one of the many volunteers that, you know, just was like, no, no, no. Like, you're not quitting. Get back here. Uh, and I, I'm so grateful for, for that, those voices, because um, I'm not sure it'd be here otherwise. Yeah. And, and the uh, power that FD represents for these people wouldn't be there either. So, yeah, thank you for sticking with it. I, you kind of touched on the scientific community. And so I want to get into what's happening or what's been happening most recently. And that is how you've had this backing based on scientific research. And I believe there are two peer reviewed published articles that have been done on, correct me if I'm wrong, adventure-based healing or adventure therapy and the power of it. So I'd like for you, if you can talk about both of these studies 
and what they looked at and what the results were. Certainly. Yeah. So as noted, like for the first, what was it, probably 10, 12 years of the organization, we had we we had this amazing sort of treasure chest of anecdotal evidence mm-hmm. based, you know, like all, all this feedback from our participants, all this sort of subjective anecdotal evidence, if you will, that these programs were incredibly effective. Everything from, you know, uh, it extended my son's life to, you know, this allowed me to to become the person I need to be post-cancer and all these, all our post-diagnosis and all these things. And, but it, it wasn't enough to satisfy the scientific community. And understandably, they, you know, it's like, well, if, if these truly are effective, if this is an effective means of, of support and therapy, then prove it, you know, go through the, the steps that everyone else goes through and do a, you know, a peer reviewed study and get it published and then we'll talk. And so we did that. It was intense, you know, it, it was, it was a lot. Um, and so the first study we did, uh, Genentech kindly supported because they are, you know, biotech company and sort of believe in, in the science as well. And it took, uh, I think two years to get to where we actually got it through, through the entire process mm-hmm. and got it published. And that one was tricky because we, we thought we knew what we did. We thought we knew what worked, but we didn't know. I mean, this was, again, all sort of anecdotal. And so we set off to say, okay, we think we address feelings of isolation, alienation, anxiety, and depression. And then the researcher said, well, let's explore a few other things, body image, self-confidence, self-esteem. And we said, okay, it sounds great. You know, they were sort of saying, let's cast a wider net and just see, see mm-hmm. what we learn. And, uh, and the, the findings were just fantastic. Um, you know, we did a sort of a, there was a, I don't know how all this stuff works that well, but yeah. you know, you have your control group, you have your study group. We did a sort of pre and post examination of the participants and compared them to the control group. And what we found is that we saw tremendous outcomes in relieving areas of distress associated with those things, depression, anxiety, those levels went way down. Um, feelings of self-confidence went up, isolation down, body image up and all these things. And it was like, wow, that I think even the researchers were like, we didn't expect that. To be to be that powerful, um, and so we got that study published, and then the next one was with the University of Michigan, Dr. Brad Zebrak, and kind of the feedback we had was like, okay, well, we know it works, but how long does it work for? You know, is this sustained? And so we went back and we studied a few different areas, but really a lot of the same stuff and the same outcomes. Um, and he summed it up in an email because we kind of said, well, what's you know, we, we got our results and when they send you the results of those studies, it's like pages and it's right. like numbers and data points. And you're just like, dude, just, I think my response was, can you just tell me what it says? Like in your, <laughs> in your words, like I'm the kayaker, remember? And he, he was like, I <laughs> nicest guy. He was like, I think the, the way I can sum it up the best for you is that uh, I could either prescribe antidepressants or I could prescribe first defense and I could expect similar outcomes. And that's not to belittle prescription medication or, th- or those things, but this can be additive or complementary, or even sometimes in, in addition, you know, or instead of, um, and it, it can, for, for a lot of people, we're seeing tremendous sustained positive outcomes through attending, you know, a multi-day outdoor adventure, which is, one of the most validating, beautiful things I've ever, as as an adventure enthusiast, I've ever uh, uh, realized. You know, and, and what I kind of came to see was that it certainly works very well for the for these participants. You know, for young adults with cancer, and now subsequently MS, and hopefully for these healthcare professionals. But it also works for all of us. You know, getting outside, breathing fresh air, 
connecting with other people, with yourself, taking on some challenges that, I mean, that's just profoundly healing. And it's important not to forget that. (laughs) I was just going to say that, that, you know, even though the studies that you did, these peer reviewed published studies were focusing on your campers. And obviously by the fact that they were your campers, they were either survivors of cancer or going through cancer treatment currently or a multiple sclerosis diagnosis. So yes, they're focusing on the results from that specific population. But in my mind, I feel like you can take the fact that adventure therapy can help anyone. You don't have to have a cancer diagnosis. You don't have to have multiple sclerosis. You don't have to be a frontline worker. Uh, you don't even have to be a caregiver, which is also a camp, which I, I think is incredible. They first Ascense offers caregiving camps, correct? So camps for, for people who have a spouse or a, a girlfriend or boyfriend or a family member who is dealing with cancer and multiple sclerosis, which I think is incredible as well. So I feel like even though these studies are specific to these populations, I assume, I would assume also that you as the professional kayaker and the outdoor enthusiast would speak to the fact that outdoor therapy can benefit anyone. Absolutely. And and I've been, I I think I've just been more acute into it, more aware of it since those studies came out of like sort of uh, examining how I'm feeling when I'm, when I'm out there. Um, And to just kind of being like, Oh, interesting. Like I do feel better out here. I do feel you know, happier. I do feel more connected to the people I'm with, you know, and, and and so just taking stock in that and making a point of doing it more often, quite frankly, of like, you know, like if you're having a bad day, go outside and go for a hike. You know, I, I think just, just get some fresh air, get your heart rate up, you know, maybe take on a challenge, whatever level you can do it at, just do it. Uh, and I think the outcomes will be beneficial. You know, I know that the study focused on the adventure therapy, the component of learning a new skill, of being in the outdoors. Um, But I also, personally, I feel like one of the great benefits of FD camps is that it's like a summer camp in a way. So you go and you meet all these new people and the human connection is there, especially because you have these similar circumstances. But you sit around a campfire every night and and people share about what they've experienced. You have little awards that people are given. Um, I can't remember. What you, remind me what the awards are, but um, you like you give people hats or you know funny little costumes or whatever. And and to me, that that's like the fun part of it for me. Like yes, I I actually love. I fell in love with rock climbing at this camp. And ended up buying shoes and we bought, you know, the (laughs) gear and everything. Um, We haven't gone, gone that often, but I fell in love with it. And so, yes, I, I conquered huge fears of heights. And I think that's what a lot of people take away from that is that they conquered their fears and they were able to do something that was completely out of their comfort zone. But I think the camp part of it also probably plays into that. And maybe it's not the 
the extent of how long the benefits last for, but at least for that week. And then, you know, subsequently when you connect with these other people, um, whether you're sending them Christmas cards or whether you're texting each other or whether you're meeting up in your town, maybe not now because of COVID, but you know, like the connections are there and the connections are made, but the camp aspect, I think that's part of it. Do you think that that plays a part in the benefits that everyone's able to see after they attend? I really do. I really do. I mean, you, you show up, it's, it's a fascinating thing to observe. You, you bring, call it 15, you know, I mean, by the time you factor in sort of staff and volunteers, you've got like 25 people there, at, you know, 22 to 25 people, some of whom on the staff side may know one another, but most of these people have never met they immediately take on a new name. So by the, by the end of this, you see this transformation for, you know, night one, these people, like half of them, if not all of them are like, Ooh, what did I do? Like kind of second guessing themselves and their decision. There's a lot of fear, a lot of reservation. Uh, and fast forward to the, the last evening when it's, I mean, it's, it, it feels like a family. It's truly like, I mean, the connections, the bonds are like so incredibly powerful. Uh, and I think so much of that can just be attributed to, to that, you know, sort of, sort of like the, like you said, the humor, uh, you know, so often like with cancer, it's a very serious thing. There's not a lot of light around it. There's not a lot of laughter around it to go to a place where you can, where you can just laugh, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's so cathartic. Um, and just like kind of being goofy and not taking everything so seriously for a second. There's, there's a lot of like, health and healing right there. Um, and I think it, it lends itself to that sense of family or, you know, tight community that you feel by the end of this experience. And I, I can honestly say that most of the, the deepest connections I've ever formed were at one of these programs. And sometimes over the course of just five or six days, it's hard to really put your finger on it, but I think all of these things play into that. Yeah. So what would you say to listeners out there who, you know, don't, have a cancer diagnosis or multiple sclerosis, aren't a caregiver, aren't a frontline health work care worker, how can they take the, the tools that you guys have figured out that benefit these populations? How can they utilize that in their own lives just on a day-to-day -day basis? Certainly. I think one of the things is like, don't be afraid to like take on a challenge. Mm. Challenges can, can be big and small. Um, I think challenges are, challenges are really easy to avoid. <laughs> yeah. They're really easy to not do, right? Like it's always easy to not challenge yourself, but there's so much reward within each challenge, right? Anytime you face a challenge, there's, there's this inherent growth and transformation and education and, and kind of like feeling of accomplishment. And, and that's like a really beautiful thing. Like, and so I, I just like, you know, if, seek challenge, I think is one of the sort of things that if these young adults can in, in sometimes severely compromised physical states, um, emotional states, get on a plane, fly halfway across the country to spend a week doing something they've never done with people they've never met, like we can do anything, right? Like that's inspiring. Yes. So I just encourage that. And then kind of, as I said too, I think there's, there's so much health at our fingertips just outside. You know, nowadays we're so connected to technology, especially, you know, with, with COVID, like we're always on our screens, mm. uh, which I understand. Um, and I'm not saying that's like, I'm not denouncing that, 
but I do think it's important to balance it to to create the space to go out to leave your technology behind and just get some fresh air. You know, like I said, go for a hike, uh, just go to your neighborhood park, sit under a tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just be just be still in nature, or or get your heart rate up in nature, or take that as far as you want, and and take on a new sport. You know, like you said, rock climbing. Go to your local rock climbing gym and, and learn how to rock climb and, and then take that to a natural rock setting. And, and, you know, you'll in the process, you'll grow as an individual and create this new community and you'll have this passion and, and reason to go outside. And I just think it's 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 all right there for us to do. And it's such an opportunity to, to do it. And, yeah, it's as simple as going to your neighborhood park or going climbing Everest, but, you know, make a point to do those things. Yes. Such good advice. Okay. So where do you see First Ascents going in the next five, 10 years? What's the evolution look like to you? We've had an opportunity to step back and really examine that this year. <laughs> I <don't know>. um, <laughs> it really was interesting because we were on just this sort of path of, of assumed, tr- this assumed trajectory or assumed growth trajectory where it was like, okay, we had our five-year plan. This is how we're going to do it, how many people we're going to serve. And we're sort of like tracking and it forced us to stop this year in a really positive way. Uh, it allowed us to reach out to our community and understand where the needs were and how we could meet them. Uh, and that, you know, led itself to, to rethinking how we're programming, how we're, how we're meeting people this year and in the future, adding this program for frontline healthcare workers who, have always been given back and always support been giving back to others and supporting our community. And, and when we reached out to them, when this pandemic hit and said, what do you need? They just said, we need help. We mm. need support. You know, we're, we're getting killed out of here. This is brutal. Yeah. Uh, and so we said, well, we just like when it's, when this thing all started, what can we do? We can offer these programs, offer them a chance, this reprieve to get together, to talk, to connect, to understand, uh, and, and hopefully heal from it. And so that, that was interesting because it was like, okay, you know, really forced us to think how, how we can offer more of these programs to more people in need. How do we scale this thing up even greater than we thought we could before? How, how do we examine who needs these types of programs and how we reach them? Um, and so I think as we look to the future, we're, we're looking at a, a variety of models that will allow for scalability and, and frankly, like, you know, how, how can we safely serve people in, in, in a pandemic? How can we, you know, how can we do these things, uh, better, more effectively, uh, and at a greater scale, because, you know, what we saw is when we opened up our healthcare worker program application, um, to put in perspective, I think last year we had about 2,500 applications for MS and cancer programs uh, over the course of the year. Mm -hmm. And in just under a month, we had 10,000 applications (gasps) from healthcare workers. Yeah. Just overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. So that really opened our eyes. Like, wow, there's a tremendous need here that is not being met. And, yes. uh, and, and one that we have, you know, proven that these guys are feeling isolation from their families. They're feeling, uh, anxiety and depression. You know, they're, they're going through a lot of the same stuff on paper anyway, that our participants are feeling. And we thought, well, we have something that helps us. So it's, it's forced us to really sit down and, and, drop a new strategic plan whereby we think we can scale this thing much greater and and reach many more people with what we consider an effective means of healing. Wow. Incredible. Okay. So for just, I want to specify for people who are frontline healthcare workers, who does that include? We started this or, uh, this part of our organization, uh, an initiative within it called uh, Prescribed Adventure. This was a couple of years, a few years ago, and it was really to form a more 
consistent, deep connection to the healthcare professionals so that we could better understand, you know, what we, they were seeing on, on the front lines as it related to the participants, you know, young adults with cancer and MS. Um, and so we had, we were fortunate enough to have that line of communication open. And so when this thing hit, we reached out and just said, Hey, what's going on? And that was the feedback. Hey, we're, we're practicing wartime medicine out here, deciding daily who lives, who dies. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're not, we're, we're not getting the rest we need. We're not seeing our families. Like this is just full on. It was a, a months long process with our partners to really understand, okay, how do we reach those in most needs? So we targeted areas that were most effective especially on the first wave of the pandemic. Um, we had to, we hired a, uh, an infectious disease specialist to help us come up with a uh, sort of an, a blueprint for how to safely provide these programs in the time of COVID. And so we had to completely rework our programming um, to accommodate the right people in a safe manner uh, and, and provide them with services. A lot of our healthcare professionals were asking for both adventure, but also some mindfulness opportunities, a, a chance to sort of sit and be still, you know, they want to multi-day programs really badly. The more, more days, the better, because they, they haven't had a chance to just go recover, you right. know, to, to take days for themselves. And so we, we designed this new program specifically for them and we help, we've been holding it in areas that, that we've seen the opportunity to safely hold the program that also align with the where we saw sort of the, the biggest waves of COVID when it first hit. And so it's been tremendously meaningful. CNN just did a profile on it, which was cool. And it's just, I think these guys have always been heroes, you know, and we've always felt that for the past 20 years and seeing what our participants, you know, like they're just the backbone of these guys and, and what they're going through. And it was so cool to like see the whole country recognize you know, that these guys are heroes. Yeah, and so yeah. it, was, it was cool, cool to be a part of that. So it's nurses, doctors. No, primarily. Yeah. Trying to target, uh, the, the ones who were kind of like right in the fight. And so we're seeing a lot of like critical care nurses, doctors, mm-hmm. that type of, uh, uh, sort of specialty. So ICU stuff. Yeah. But I mean, applications are open. So, you know, we, we want to hear from everyone who's interested because that helps us get a better glimpse into the world out there. But um, we're really trying to make sure that, you know, because we have limited resources uh, that we're delivering this to the, the those most in need right now. Of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. But we, we hope that this program continues. You know, we it's we see it as necessary both in times of pandemics, which hopefully is it, there's, you know, near term and finite, oh, but also just hopefully. like <laughs> hopefully these guys just they they give a lot. And I think it's important to, I mean, you've seen your husband give a lot throughout the years uh, and what he does and, and how he's, I mean, that guy doesn't sleep much when, <laughs> when he's working and constantly out there uh, helping others in need. He does it all for, for no recognition or, or thanks. He just does it, you know, and I think it's important sometimes to turn around and offer something in return if we can. Are our first responders part of that? Since you brought up Ryan, could we, they be part of that? We have had the first responders, I believe. Uh, I would have to double check, but I'm pretty sure we we had some in there. Okay. So, yeah, I, I would encourage uh, now. Oh, and I also, I forgot to mention, because you reminded me in using the word hero and then CNN, you guys were were nominated and then you were a top 10 finalist for the CNN Heroes back in 2016. 
correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Precise, yeah. I mean, that is such an incredible accomplishment. So I, I feel like, you know, what you've done has been proven over and over again. And to date, how many campers have gone through the program? Oh, I think we're over 10,000, I wow. think. Wow. If that's, yeah. Uh, we just went through these numbers recently. It was, it actually was staggering to me. You know, the, these programs are, are they're heavy lift, you know, we, they're not a light touch. Like we really dive deep in them. And so it's a, it's, it's a lot of resources for a few people, which is key. You know, we, we limit our participant size to 15. Uh, and so when you start looking at numbers like 10,000, you know, I remember that first program in 01, I didn't know how we were going to pull it off or fill it or if it would work. And, you know, then it was like, maybe we could get to like two programs or three programs. And, you know, now we're in over 10,000 and that's, I don't know. That was like, that struck me pretty hard. I was like, wow, that's, that's a hell of a team effort right there. That's, that's cool to see. That is damn straight. Hell of a team effort. And, <laughs> and you're the, you're the head of that team. So thank you, Brad, uh, for oh, anyone out there who has listened and is called to want to help, you can sponsor, of course, uh, they, provide these camps free of charge to these people. So they're always looking for people who are willing to support the cause. So you can just go to firstdescents.org and that's with an S to learn more about it and even to apply. If you are suffering from cancer or a survivor of cancer, are going through multiple sclerosis, uh, or you're a caregiver or a frontline healthcare work- worker. So Brad, thank you. I I yeah. I loved our talk. Old friends are the best friends, and I it's just been as we said far too long. Um, where can people? You're probably not even on social because you're just traveling the world all the time. <laughs> oh man, I am on social, but it's like a love hate yeah, thing. I post like I once. I don't know if there's a great opportunity to post something that highlights like first ascents, like the recent CNN heroes piece. I of course will take it. Um, so I'm on Instagram. I think is about it. I'm on Twitter, but that's mostly just. To watch other people on Twitter. Totally. So, <laughs> I don't expect me to tweet anything. I don't even know how, but yeah, Instagram uh, might be the only place you'll find me online. I think. Okay, or the web, the website for so first. The website is certainly yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, website the first ascent site has a lot of resources. I encourage uh, you know we're working from home like so many others, but I do encourage reach out to our staff. They're amazing. You know, call and fill out an application, volunteer inquiry, like just just get involved uh, as, as we've talked about. It's just a tremendous community. It's a growing community. And it's it, no matter who you are or, or why you enter it, you're going to get something from it. It's it's, right. it's a really wonderful thing. So agreed. Agreed. So I forgot my my question that I ask every single guest. It relates to the podcast, the fact that it's called Better, Etc. So Brad Ledden, how do you plan on being better in your own personal or professional life tomorrow. Man, see, this is, I gotta warn us. <laughs> but no, because uh, I know, so I saw you do your, I think it was D, DO or do lecture. Oh, yeah. And they, and they said, you can't prepare. So I think the best answer sometimes That's comes true. from not preparing. So, <laughs> oh, how am I gonna do better tomorrow? Um, I, I will say this. I am going to, in the spirit of our conversation, I will try to, I will, I will commit to taking on something that's challenging for me tomorrow that I would not otherwise have done had you not asked me that question. Yay! And I will spend today understanding and figuring out exactly what that is. And I, I give you my word that I will do it tomorrow. Well, I love that. And even that. just saying that makes me uncomfortable, <laughs> which is good. That's, that's right. Point. That's right. Oh my gosh. I love that answer. That is great. 
This has been awesome. Thank you so uh, much. So, so good to see you. Yeah, thank you. It's an honor to be on here. I'm just glad you're doing it. I think it's really cool. Thank you. It's refreshing. So hats off to you. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. I hope you feel a little better after having listened. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you're enjoying our show, please send it to a friend and put a little better into their lives. Also, if you would like to find me, you can go to Instagram at Trista Sutter or Facebook at Trista Sutter fan page. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day.